like, you know, photography is like such an interesting medium to capture moments. And it's like one of those weird things that I'm like, how in the hell did humans even figure out how to do that in the first place? Because like back in the day, it was all with like chemicals and like having these different mediums. And then you have to like go to dark rooms and do all this processing. And it's like so interesting because like back then you you take an image like really seriously like you're capturing moments but you don't even know what it really looks like and you kind of have like that one copy if you maybe have your negatives and now we're in this world where like images are like it's like nothing it means nothing you can take a million photos upload them to the cloud you know you don't really think too much about the photo you're like okay we can just delete a bunch of them um and it's like yeah this different sort of shift in like the value of images and just like you know the world of photography has changed so much um i'm so excited to kind of pick your brain about this world and really you know understand what sort of influences your perspective and you know why you even fell in love with this medium of you know being a a moment capturer you know (laughs) okay um so i didn't realize it but anytime like prior to me officially starting photography Anytime I would go on vacation, I used to take like an extreme amount of pictures on just kind of really, and I'm going to purposefully use the word documenting where I was or what I was doing, just kind of documenting that time, that trip. And I never noticed it until I officially started to like do photography. I moved to New York in 2012 to get my bachelor's and also a minor, my bachelor's in accounting and a minor in finance. Along the way, I had a friend who was already a photographer and she was trying to force her camera into my hand. Like, yo, you should try this, you should try this, you should try this. And it never really stuck. Um, I guess for the most part, it was just because she was trying to like make me do it. And we had another mutual friend and he eventually bought a camera for the church and then he gave it to me and he told me you can use it if you want to i'm like okay cool um i guess shortly after he borrowed it to me i had a shoot i hit up one of my friends i was just like yo i have this camera you dress pretty well you want to go to the park and take some pictures and that kind of sparked the flame that has been burning till today and I guess that him giving me the camera and me having the freedom now to to choose if I want to do it or not, I guess that's what made me even want to try it. And yeah, so that 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 that's how the journey started. Uh, I made so much friends between 2013 when I did that first photo shoot and 2015 when I left New York to come back. Um, made a lot of friends, a lot of connections, just hitting up like everybody. Like, hey, oh, you want to shoot? Hey, you want to shoot? Meeting random people on the train and be like, hey, like, can I take your picture? Um, just a lot of random moments, you know, during that, let's just say, year and a half period while I was still living in New York, while I was doing photography, you know, just, you know, falling in love with it, just enjoying hearing the shutter snap and freezing the moment you know when i finished college in december 2014 i did have the 
option to stay in New York one extra year, I think. I think they call it OTP or something like that, where you can stay a year to work in the field that you studied. But I did not want to stay and work in the field that I studied. Um, so I had the opportunity to come back home and do photography part-time. Uh, during the summers, while I was still living in New York, when I would come back, uh, I would link up with Elvis Harrigan. Um, and he would you know, take me with him when he was going to shoot, or we would set up shoots where both of us were shooting at the same time. And he was already established as a full-time photographer at that time. You know, so just coming back and via him, for the most part, having an opportunity to work in the photography field, I was just like, New York is like my second home. Like, I really found myself in New York. But I want to do photography. So <laughs> I moved back home. I feel it. Yeah. I feel like what even made you go into accounting? Like, that's so opposite to, like, creativity. <laughs> so, accounting was fun in high school, right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure this is illegal to say, but I did a couple people SBAs for them. Um, <laughs> because it was, it was really fun trying to get the balance sheet to balance. Like, that... That mm, real like that the challenge of that. I was like the most amazing thing for me, and I I loved it in high school. And leaving high school, I had no idea like what I wanted to be. So I was just like, this was fun in high school. Let me try it. Um, but then I eventually got to cost accounting. I think in like closer to finishing my associates and. If there was one thing I can say that made me lose every ounce of love for accounting, it was cost accounting. <laughs> I feel you. Oh my god! You were I just know. like, "This is not. This isn't fun anymore." How too much math is too much, too much. I don't know if it was the teacher or just the class itself, but if if there was a moment where I was like, "I'm." done with this study that was the moment you know um i feel like <laughs> yeah but as a person i'm very um what's the word like i need i need motivation like i need something to constantly be like pushing me slash challenging me for me to want yeah. to do better right and funny enough, like, while I was doing my first, let's just say the first 75% of my associate's degree here at USM, you know, I was getting good grades, you know, Bs, some As, occasionally a C and stuff. Because I was just like, I was just doing it because I was doing it, you know. But I went to one of the graduations when I was, again, about 75% done with my associates. And I saw that there were the three levels of um honors that you can graduate with there's um cum laude i think magna and summa i didn't know that yeah. until that point right once i knew that that was available every grade after that was an a like i think i did 24 classes in my bachelor's degree while i was in new york i got 23 a's and a B plus. 
but it was only because I knew that there was like tears. <laughs> if I didn't go it's to that graduation, yeah, and I didn't it. know that there were these tears that fine. I would have probably just like eh through college, you know. No, I feel you a hundred percent. I mean, at least for me in engineering, it was like not even. <laughs> it's not even worth it. <laughs> Oh, Lord. I was just like, we're going to see oh, what wow. happens and we'll just be grateful that we've mm-hmm. made it through with all of our hair intact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess that that kind of is what drives me to with um, with photography and now filmmaking as well. You know, I feel like a lot of persons here on St. Martin who... I mean, whether they've been away or not, but I think a lot of people have the the mindset of like, once I'm great on St. Martin, like, I'm great. That's it. Like, I don't need to like work on this craft anymore. But for me, from a very early point in my career, my, my, my vision was like, my quote unquote competition is like Mario Testino, um, Peter Lindbergh, Annie Leibovitz, like, I'm talking Vogue level, legendary level photographers. That's the people whose work I was watching and studying. And it's just like, if my work isn't as good as theirs, I'm not happy. You know, even like now too, like I have like three photography, three weddings, films that I need to finish. But because my footage isn't as good as the guy whose course I'm taking, it's just like, I don't want to edit because it's not as good as Eric's, <laughs> you know, but that is what, that's what drives me. It's like, there's, yes, there's competition, quote unquote competition um, here on the island, but it's just like, that's not like where my mind is. My mind is like legendary status, like Pat Scola, the guy, um, Marcel Rev from Euphoria, like, if I'm doing a video and it doesn't look like euphoria, I just want to go home. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so hilarious. Yeah. I honestly, like I admire that. Cause I feel like, you know, I think it's, it's so easy to get into the, like, Oh, I'm a big fish in a small pond and it's comfortable. And like, everybody knows me, like I'm the guy. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't need to push myself. Like I can just stay in this comfort, you know, zone and kind of just, you know, ride this wave until, I don't know, life ends. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I agree, like, like to, to have, you know, people that you look up to that you're like, their work, like it resonates on a level. And it's like, I want to build to that level of mastery because I know there's like a narrative that mm-hmm. I can share that's so much needed in the world. And especially I feel like for Caribbean people, like, it's it's sad like when we don't shape our own narratives it kind of gets developed by other people you know they tell us what our stories are what our culture Mm -hmm. means to us what does it mean to be you know of this Caribbean identity but when we are so empowered as creatives to like define that narrative and share the stories of people through like whether whatever medium it is artistically that you you know really like gravitate to it's like so powerful when you have that Mm skill set you know like why you're creating you know, the methods of really capturing the moments and then like doing it justice and editing. And I think it's so funny because actually I just finished like a video creator course that I was doing just for my own interest because I love 
film. I'm obsessed. Like I have watched so many of like the great films throughout my childhood because they're just so beautifully architect. You just like the story, the the way that they edit it, that feeling that you get, the sound architecture, like all of it comes together to create this moment and feeling. I'm like, oh my gosh, like how do people do that? You know, of some of a simple plot, but like they yeah, make yeah, it yeah. resonate so great. And you see it like in like every aspect of like just like con- mixed media creation. And I feel like like trying to really like build the mastery skill so you can like articulate the vision that you see. Yeah. Ah, like that is the thing that like gets me so excited because I'm like, oh, like that, that to me is like what life's all about, you know? And it's like when you can, when you do it right, you just know, like, you know, like it's like perfect. And I feel like sometimes it's hard because it's like you, you know yeah. what you're shooting for. And if it just doesn't meet that bar, it's just like, ah, Ah, oh, like yeah. oh no! <laughs> I saw the 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 timeline. The, I guess the I guess they used the Da Vinci Resolve, the Da Vinci Resolve timeline for Wakanda Forever, and it's just like mind blowing. Like there's like probably like forty seven audio tracks. It's just like wow. Because again, like right now, because I'm doing film, sometimes. I'm watching the film and you're hearing something, but I know that is not a song that was filmed while they were filming. That is somebody in a studio making exactly. a song and then they just add it in like after and it's just like that really like how it like messes with your mind, mind to blown. create this moment. Like it's just so crazy. Like it's like you take these things for granted. You're like, oh, how is that sound so crisp? And you're like, yeah, there's somebody literally in a dark uh-huh. room somewhere recreating all of these noises yeah. so that it yeah. sounds exactly as you would expect it. But there's no way that you could actually just capture that in like raw reality. Like it's just yeah. I feel you. I feel you. I can only imagine how many cuts versions just like, oof. That's why you need a team, though. You know, there's no way you can do that by yourself. Like a team, but a a team of empowered creatives that get the vision. Oof. Hard to find. Hard to find. And that is what I was going to segue to. Um, What makes it hard here for me, I'm going to say no at this point in my career, is... First of all, finding persons who love it the way that I love it and whose style is close enough to mine that we can work closely together. But also, too, where filmmaking is concerned, you know, sometimes somebody hires me to do a job and I'm charging them as a filmmaker, as as the DP, basically, right? But I'm also doing light. I'm also doing sound. I'm also doing production, executive producer, like all these things that, you know, I'm not charging for that I really can't charge for because this is a Martin. But even if there's like nobody here who's studying to be like a gaffer on some Martin. I mean, there's one guy I know who I could like get to come and help. One or two guys I know who could come and help me with sound. But one of them is another guy who is filming just like me, who again understands what to do with the film because he does it for himself. And there's another guy who really understands the, the, the getting the sound because he works with Peter Sagnia often on like his movie sets, you know? So he understands boom and okay, it's too loud, change the game, stuff like that. But that pool here of persons is non-existent 
but it's non-existent too because the market isn't really you know there for that so. it's, a, it's a double-edged yeah. sword it really is because like for me like i realized you know growing up and i'm curious like what your thoughts are like we grew up consuming american entertainment american films american cinema you know and and for me like that really shaped my perspective as just like you know the stories that people tell how they sort of shape our identity but in the caribbean we lack that or at least specifically in st martin we lack that we don't have our own tv shows we don't have our own content that really echoes our mm -hmm. own experiences and for me, it's like been such a shame that like that's something that's not prioritized because to me, it's a part of like building culture. It's about building our identity as a nation, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have content that yeah. speaks to like the experiences of your people. Um, but yeah, like we have like we so we focus too much on tourism and I'm like, yeah, but the the stories we can tell, I feel like these are things that would draw even more tourists to the country because it's a type of marketing that's like deeper rooted yeah. in culture, you know what I mean? And preserving culture and Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it to me it's an unfortunate that we don't invest more in it because to me there's so much gold just sitting there in like untold stories about just our people mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh my God, guys, like, why are we not, why are we not doing this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I think that because we haven't been, uh, for lack of a better word, let's say programmed to tell our own stories, um, I'm in a space now where I'm like looking for stuff to film, but because it's not a, a a custom a lot of people who have the stories aren't like telling them right so it's hard for me to get the story because nobody's telling the stories um and one thing that i want to try to focus on well i've been doing it um is really like documentary style photography um i started a course that i should probably jump back on but it's called the art of documentary because I feel like we have so much, like you said, stories here that, you know, go untold. I, last July, I started a documentary with a girl who wasn't born here, came here when she was like, I think three years old. Um, and when she became eligible to get her Dutch passport, there was a small hiccup in the process. And initially I just wanted to do a video about her dance life or her dance journey. And eventually I found out that, again, she wasn't born here on the island, but she came here when she was like three or young, really young. Yeah. And um, she became eligible to get her Dutch passport, but there was a hiccup in the process and she was denied. So basically she was unable to go to college, you know? And it's just so interesting, first of all, in her story that, you know, she's danced here in St. Martin, she's danced in the region, she's danced in France, everywhere that she go, you know, she represents for St. Martin, you know, and just to see how hard it was or how much trouble she got um, in trying to get citizenship, it was just really interesting to me because a lot of the times I feel personally that the people that really ride hard for St. Martin aren't the people that are quote unquote St. Martiners. You know? Now for a message from our sponsors.
Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you are enjoying this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. It 100% helps us grow this podcast and get our message out there to help and inspire others. Have thoughts or opinions you want to share? Join the conversation on Anchor or on Spotify. I love to hear from you all and I can't thank you enough for your support. With that, let's get back to the good stuff. A lot of people go through that, you know, they have to go through the whole naturalization process and, you know, that's not something that's really spoken about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of things, a lot of times they find too, especially with artists, but just also in general, that a lot of the people who go really like hard and representing St. Martin and stuff like that are people who are not considered as quote unquote St. Martinist, you know, because she's danced here on St. Martin, she's danced regionally. She's represented St. Martin in Paris, I think, in the dance competition. You know, so to do all of that and repping the St. Martin flag to ultimately have to go through such a hard procedure to get citizenship. Just to justify, yeah. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's crazy. They'll use you for clout, but then when it comes <laughs> to when you need some, it's like, I yep. don't know you who you fuck Yeah. Yep. And yeah, we had a finished product over the summer that was like an hour long, but we're really trying to get it down to like a really compact, like 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes max type story. So that's something that I'm definitely like into doing, you know, like telling people's stories and documenting things, things that, you know, we can make today, but like 15 years from now, they're still showing it because these stories are still relevant, you know? Exactly. That's kind of where I'm trying to shift my filmmaking. Even though I love doing the commercial stuff because A, those things pay the bills. Um, Exactly. But also also to just wanting to have my commercial work look like, you know, the stuff that I see on TV. Wanting to get there. But I really, at the core, want to have enough of those like bigger jobs to free up my schedule to really work on these like passion projects that I really want to work mm. on because 2023 I have to get into somebody's film festival have to I have to get into period. somebody's film period yeah let's do it man let's let's get <laughs> it out there i mean honestly like I like I have always sort of admired like your lens, you know, especially when capturing like the stories of Caribbean people, like um, just like even the way that you, you know, photograph like Caribbean women and just like the 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 way like there's just like a strength and a power, but also like a very beauty, you know, beautiful like look at what it means to be feminine um especially like as a Caribbean woman where there's like so many things that I think come with that um and for me, like, I definitely think, like, being able to be a creative that shares the stories of our identity is just very much needed. You know, we need to be able to share them because, one, I think it's, like, it's our heritage. It's our roots. It's, like, the the stories that make us who we are. But it's even just, like, you know, like you said, that documentation of, like, where we've been so we know where we're going and, like, what are the issues that are most important to us and why are they the issues that are most important to us, Um and what can we learn just from like understanding or seeing other people's experiences? Because the Caribbean is so diverse, especially St. Martin. Like the breadth of like cultural stories that you would be able to tell here, I feel like is so beautiful and so unique. 
that it's a pity to me that we just sit on this gold and we don't we don't do anything with it because there's just so much there's just so much um that we could share and we're just not sharing and you know for me it's like even a form of therapy to be able to voice your experiences and be able to have that resonate with people and i feel like yeah photography and film is such a very uh great medium for that because it's like something you see you know like it's something you you visually see and I think like that that like they say a picture can say a thousand words or whatever you know that is like really true yeah and so for me like there was a a point where I was just I guess you can say just doing me you know taking the type of pictures that I felt um I wanted to take but then I started to hear people speak about my work and talk about how I, I think saying emotive is the correct like conjugation of that word. Um, <laughs> speaking about how my work is so emotive and how you know they can they're looking at the picture, but it looks like it's almost like a photographer wasn't there, and you just kind of captured that person in like a really genuine moment, and in, you know just kind of hearing how people spoke to me about my work kind of helped me to understand you know I guess subconsciously what I was doing you know because again so much of photography so much to me about just documentation you know and that's why there was at one point in my career where I figured like I had to have been reincarnated from like the 50s or the 60s or something oh like yeah that. just seeing like the way that my work looked yeah me like there's like wisdom to it you know what I mean yeah. like and it wasn't even anything that could force but I guess so much of the work that I was studying and consuming from the photographers that I ended up really falling in love with it just kind of subconsciously kind of shaped the way that my work turned out to be yeah yeah I'm curious then like as a creative when you're planning shoots um with like different models what sort of influences like the theme of the shoot like do you typically create like vision boards for like your different shoots or is it more of just like you you see something and you're like oh I have this concept or you saw something from a film that inspired you or I don't know if you're into tumblr and um for me like Mm. tumblr has been where like I really like pin my creative vision and just like use that as inspiration that you then with like the model that you're you're working with kind of cultivate this moment that you can then capture um that tells like you know such a powerful story um so i want to say it's probably like a, a combination of stuff right so for me sometimes i may be driving and i see a location and it's just like yo i really want to do a shoot here and then somebody comes to mind that i think would fit that location but sometimes too it happens in reverse where there's just somebody who I want to photograph and then I go through their Instagram or whatever just to kind of get an idea of what their style is and then I let that kind of drive the reference images that I look for um, before I send them for us to plan for a shoot. I really try that things aren't like super planned out like even for example my full moon um, sessions um, sometimes I just have like one simple idea like oh i want to use candles right and the only idea that i have is that i want to use the candles so we get the candles and then we go out and it's just like whatever happens happens so sometimes i want to go to a location 
me and Amaru, we head to the location and it's really just like whatever happens, happens. And I think letting that unfold is what allows a story to be told because it's not like you're manufacturing anything or you're necessarily curating something to look a certain way. You're just allowing the person to vibe in the yeah. environment and that in itself creates a, a genuine moment you know wow i think there's something like so just like spiritual about that you know where you have this sort of creative flow that you tap into mm -hmm. and you know as the camera person you're like looking through this lens to just capture the moment you know and you're just like creating sort of the space to allow this sort of like genuine expression of self happen and then you just like, yeah, you're like, oh, there it is. And you you are able to pinpoint that moment and be like, this is what I want to capture. Mm -hmm. I guess like, did it take a lot of trial and error to even, even be able to be like, to to know when to capture the moment? Because like it happens like so quickly. Um, and if you miss it, it's like, ah, you know, but I'm yeah. curious, like, how yeah. do you sort of um, train your eye to know like, okay, this is it. Like, this is it. Sometimes, sometimes it's, anticipation and sometimes I don't want to I don't want to use the word luck right but so okay I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give two examples one of these I said at one of my exhibitions like a year ago um, but the first part is brain fart, I'm a brain fart. I feel it take your time <laughs> okay so let's start with the one that I actually remember first um, have you ever watched the Chronicles of Riddick with no. um, Vin Diesel? No, I don't believe so. But now okay. I have something to watch. <laughs> Adding okay, to the so list. It's a really good movie. And in the movies, there's these people called Necromongers. And I'm not sure if all of the necromongers have this ability or if it's just like the head guy. Mm. He has this ability to not necessarily teleport, but if his body is here, he can move his spirit to here and then his body will come and catch up to it. Ooh, right? So that's interesting. He, he uses that to when he's fighting to evade attacks, right? But, okay, so I'm, I'm not going to give you a spoiler on the movie because I'm just going to tell you something that happened. But anyway, um, what I feel like sometimes, let's just say I have a picture with a girl standing on a rock. I feel like the, the spirit was standing on that rock even before we got to the location. And then when she went randomly and stood on that rock, she just fell into place. So wow. it's almost like it's almost like the stories are there already and it's yeah. just waiting for somebody to, to be fall the character in, to yeah. stand on that rock or to wow. sit on that chair. And then it just happens. I feel like they're waiting to be told. That's so crazy. Ugh. Ooh, that triggers all of these thoughts that I have that I'm like, do I even want to go down this rabbit hole? <laughs> no, that is so beautifully said. Oh my gosh. Ugh. 
Yeah, that that makes me think because like just I'll go on the slide tangent like in my meditation group, like we've been talking a lot about like what is the self that we identify as and like is our body ourselves and like for me, I've been like contemplating this duality of like our individual nature of like our egos and our personality versus like um, our dependent nature and our community who like gives us our identity, you know, they give us our name, they give us, you know, our our racial groups, all of these things and it's so interesting, like, like, he's like, I always wonder, like, are our stories something that's sort of like are already written, but we're in this timeline where we're falling into these moments as they mm. sort of like, just arise. Um, and yeah, like the way that you said that, like, the spirit is there. And you know, when you show up to the place, it's like, it just sort of falls into what was supposed to be. Um, and it is what it's supposed to be, because it's what happened, you know, and it's like this interesting thing of like, our lives unfolding and us sort of just being like the audience watching it unfold. Um, and there's like a beauty to that to just be able to observe it and yeah, sort of just like surrender to that flow and know that like the moments are there. We just sort of have to remove the resistance that's stopping mm -hmm. us from falling into it. So, yeah. ah, so beautiful. So beautiful. Wait, <laughs> so the moonlight stories were all of these images taken under the full moon. Was that like the premise of it yes. or? Yes. So each of them was on the night, on the, the day of the full moon. So I was mm. so like, I'm so like weird with it that if the full moon fell on the eighth, I can shoot in the morning, I can shoot at the night. But if midnight reaches and the clock changes to the ninth, the shoot is over. I am not but that's perfect. not on the day of the full moon. That is so perfect. That's talking about boundaries, you know, creating within <laughs> constraints right there. Yeah. You're like, no, a second over, yeah. the window is gone. That yeah. is so powerful. I feel like the full moon and like the moon cycles are something that's so like not as understood as well as they probably should be because they like influence the land and the sea and like us being islanders and growing up to this connection with the ocean and let's just like you know moving and grooving with the lunar cycles oh so powerful so powerful i guess like what inspired the the idea behind that so it was an accident with the way that i i figured it out an accident okay it was an accident <laughs> I was out on a shoot with, I don't know if you know Kalua, and it got late. So I just kept like putting my ISO higher and higher and higher and higher. And it's just like, this is amazing. The camera is still taking pictures and it's like night. But it was a week before there was an actual full moon. So the moon was already like pretty much bright already. So I was just like blown away by the fact that my camera was still able to take pictures even though the sun had set like an hour ago, you know? And then once I saw that the camera was capable of doing that, there was a full moon the week after. So I got Kalua again and I got Emily. And we went and we had a shoot under the actual full moon, which was a super moon at the time. And yeah, just like blown away at the fact that, first of all, the camera was able to take those pictures. But also I was taking pictures at night and it was looking like it was like the day. Um, yeah, so I did the shoot. I did a full moon shoot a couple of times after that, but just for fun because, hey, it's a full moon. Hey, you want to go shoot? Sure, why not? Type vibes. It's a whole vibe, you know? It's like yeah. you're moving with, like, the calendars of, like, the celestial bodies, you know? There's something really cool <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. And then um, in December 2019, I had a shoot again with Emily the night, like, before her birthday. 
So her birthday was the 13th and we shot the night of the 12th, which was the full moon. And then, you know, we just had a really good vibe. She's one of the models that I shot a lot. Um, so just having such a good time with her, you know, bringing in her birthday with her. I just decided after that that I would shoot every full moon after that. And then, yeah, so from that time, straight until March this year, I shot every full moon. Wow. Under every full moon. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. I'm curious then, as someone that like has been a photographer, you know, in the islands, do you see like a particular trend with like this type of photography that like people request? Because like I know like I feel like birthday shoots and just like feeling like a badass type of shoots or something that's like so a part of our culture. But I'm curious like how this trend has sort of formed or it's like kind of a thing, you know, that people do to sort of mark their life. They're like, I'm gonna have a photo shoot <laughs> you know, just, to sort fainted, of celebrate the these things. You just said birthday shoot and I fainted. Um because um for me personally like i i personally don't like to do it just because i don't know like like you said you know it's become uh a trend and trends aren't bad um but i don't know it's like, like you're trying to be divergent from like mainstream yeah. you're trying to like really have a a unique artistic voice, I feel, and you're like, I feel like I could see how that could feel like it's sort of taking away from, <laughs> from, it, from a little, it. A little confined, almost, you know, and mm, I don't really work so well, I guess, in those um, environments, so. That's hilarious. <laughs> I guess, like, are there a particular style of shoot that you really love? Because I notice a lot of your work is, like, very much portraits, or like port like people focused and i'm curious is that like just your preference for it to be people focused or are you like interested in even doing like landscapes or architecture or, or like things that are more abstract definitely pro pro people um i mean like if i'm out and i look out and there's a really nice view i can snap it or if i'm in the city and there's a really cool building or something I can snap it but you know I prefer having someone to interact with mm, definitely yeah. and then I'm curious like because I feel like you know the nft space for creatives has kind of been like a hot topic in these weird pandemic-ish times and when it comes to like like the like the ownership of artistic work I feel like there's so much more work that needs to be done there just to ensure that the people that create really have like ownership over their creativity. Um, and especially with like models and just like using, there's so many different players that you see like that come into a project, whether it's like hair, makeup, wardrobe, you know, styling, lighting, um, sound, all of these things. I'm curious like how you think about like ownership of creative pieces, especially when there's like a synergy that happens between like the photographer and the model and like um, even like other people that are working in the background, um, making sure that like there's equity there or like there's clarity there to ensure like the parties understand sort of like the role, um, but even can be rewarded for sort of their their contribution to like the piece of art. I try to be as easy, easy, beautiful cover girl as possible. Um, <laughs> um, so I try not to like make too much of a, a headache about 
like the ownership of the pictures or the videos you know even in like in terms of the documentary i was doing with the girl you know she was completely fine until i guess she had a conversation with somebody and it was kind of like is it your documentary or is it his you know and i guess that was an interesting conversation for us to have and i told like i mean if we're going on technicality it's mine but i'm not going to use this in any on any platform without your consent and if you need to use it for anything you can use it for anything um if i make money from it you make money from it and vice versa you know so I'm, it's not like i'm trying to exclude you from anything that ownership brings i'm not trying to exclude you from any of the rewards from ownership of the video but i yeah. think if we're talking technicality to it you know yeah your story but my end product um you know just thinking about a painting you know even if i create this masterpiece painting but i bought the paint from the dollar store and i got the brushes from kevin and the easel was a gift from this person i sat here for 20 hours and did this painting so i can give credit and and tag everybody who helped to make this possible but at the end of the day the painting is ultimately mine and i guess like are you pro nfts do you think like they're a great sort of avenue to try to advocate for like creative ownership especially like as people do like remixes or like maybe they sample your work in like other work or like you know weird gray areas like that especially in the internet when like you upload an image it can kind of just be taken you know mm -hmm. without any yeah. way of being like oh that's cameron's work unless you knew that that was cameron's work they could be like mm -hmm. oh yeah like that's that's me and some shoot and you know whoever um mm -hmm. i guess like yeah how do you have you tried using NFTs or like, do you have any thoughts about um, their value and just making it easier for you to advocate for your work? Or are you kind of just like, it's still too early um, for it to be like really useful for artists? Yeah, because there was a friend of mine who was definitely trying to get me into it just because I guess he knew that, you know, I already have like so much content and it was something that, you know, I watched a couple of videos on or tried to get into, but the whole NFT thing just kind of didn't really make sense to me. And I'm just like, you know what? When I have the time to really figure this out or when I meet somebody who, like, has the knowledge who can explain this to me, it's something that I don't mind trying to, like, figure out and getting into. But for now, it's still so much of a, huh, type situation yeah. that I'm not really trying to, like, mess with that, I guess. I feel I think like right now it's still kind of early in the game for it to be like something that you could reliably um, depend on. Like there's so many different wannabes in the pool that's kind of like, mm, how do we know like when it's legitimate versus just mm -hmm. like people trying to finesse people out of money. But for me, like the underlying idea of like being able to track ownership and prove ownership and like allow you to sort of really copyright and protect your ideas and know that it's yours, especially when it's things that you create um, is so powerful, especially like for me, like as a creative, like I just want to focus on the art. 
like whoever needs to get paid for their part of it, let them get paid. Like, I don't care. Like I want somebody yeah. else. I want the technology to figure that out. Like, I just want to focus on the art. And if that means like, I want to sample, you know, a easy track in my video, but then Kanye can get paid in the back end through however it calculates the percentage do that. Like, but yeah. I feel like, yeah, I, I look at it as a way to free artists up to focus on their art and not have to worry so much of like the financial part of having to provide for themselves. And I'm curious, like, did accounting help you with like the more business side of like being a photographer and a filmmaker? Cause you kind of knew, you know, how to track sort of the cost of your projects and the expenses associated with that. And guess kind of figure out like you know is this viable how do we really grow this is like a, a career you know uh, I definitely think it helped um, because I was always on top of like tracking like what I'm making tracking like what I'm spending and I guess that did come from having you know that kind of background in accounting um, so early on again when I moved back in 2015 I was working at Telem half days in the morning they wanted me to work full time, but eh, I wanted to be a photographer. So I feel um, you. I feel you. Yeah. So nearing the end of that year, you know, just because I had tracked, you know, what I was spending and what I was making, I was able to see like, hmm, I'm only doing photography, quote unquote, half half the, of my time, and I think that I'm making enough to definitely definitely break even with my expenses. So I know that if I was doing this full time and giving it everything that I have, I would be able to be in the green um, consistently, you know. So, yeah. So I think having that accounting background and the ability to really like track what I was spending, track what I was making, kind of project looking forward, um, it helped with making the decision to go full time into photography. Super cool. Super cool. And I guess like, was it easy as you were like doing all of these sort of experimentation projects to then find clients that were like, okay, Cameron, I'm going to pay you to shoot me in X, Y, Z, or like, I want you to come and shoot this event. Was that like, cause you had that sort of like experimental portfolio to showcase your work and your lens and your, um, your vision easier to sort of sell people on like, what am I actually paying for when I book yeah. you? Like, what is, what am I going to get, you know, when I say, come and take this photo for me? Yeah, so it was definitely one part that where, you know, I was really into photography and I was really hungry, you know, early on in my career. Uh, still now, but, you know, um, I definitely don't think I shoot as much now as I used to back then, just because it was just like, I want to practice, I want to practice, I want to practice. So just constantly having content to put out, you know, people are seeing, okay, not just that he's legit in terms of um, like work quality, but he's also like putting out work consistently. He must be legit at what he's doing. Yeah. You know? so that's, on, that's on one side. But also on the other side, too, um, because, again, Elvis Harrigan, he was already established as a full-time photographer, and he's probably, hands down, the most well-known person on the island. <laughs> so just being his right hand for that period in my career, you know, gave me that 
legitimacy. I think. Yeah, I feel it. Like the reputation (laughs) rubs off. They're like, okay, you're with him, so you must be good because he's good. Yeah, Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Hear that, and it's kind of like, oh, so you telling me that you only got so big so quickly because of your association with him, and on one part, I tell them, yeah, it's true, but. The only reason I was able to be associated with him was because I was putting in that goddamn work. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to have me riding with him if hey, my quality wasn't up to par, my personality, my work ethic wasn't up to par, you know? I earned the right yeah. to be in his presence, to be able to ride off of his popularity, you know? Yeah, I mean, we all need mentors, you know, and when you find like a really yeah. good one that like can really take you under their wing, like that's priceless, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. like you said, like you got to do the hard work too. It's not kind of just like, oh, just because you're there, like you have to show mm-hmm. that you're there, but you're there with a purpose, you know, and you're there yeah. really to learn and grow. And I think your work definitely yeah. speaks for itself as like, this man knows what he's doing, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I feel it, I feel it. Yeah. Um, I'm curious then, are you like, are you like a premiere pro person or are you like final cut or are you like, you know, I don't really care. I go back and forth. Um, yeah, it just kind of depends on the project. I am very pro whatever I started using first. I feel that. <laughs> so like right now, um, I have a, a cousin of mine who is trying to get on the full time photographer filmmaker career so yeah. i bring him with me like on jobs and stuff like that but he recently bought a sony right and i'm telling i tell him all the time like i have to give you shit right because you're running with me and you have a sony camera like this canon gang all day but like, at the core i'm just like the only reason i shoot canon is because i started on canon and i wasn't going to learn a whole new interface yeah so right now for my editing my videos i use davinci resolve Mm. And it's simply because DaVinci Resolve was free. <laughs> I feel that though. <laughs> and, but that that is what like pro colorists use, you know. So yes, I'm on the software that the pro colorists use, and everybody is now switching to DaVinci Resolve because they want to do color grading and blah blah blah. But I'm just like, I'm only here because it was free, and. I wasn't going to pay any additional in my Adobe Suite for Premiere. Being resourceful lifestyle. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. I guess, like, how then, like, do you mainly use YouTube as sort of your, like, learning mechanism for, like, editing? Because at least for me, that's what I have been navigating is, like, figuring out, like, even how to know what that editing term is. You just go on YouTube and just binge watch for mm-hmm. hours just like different editing styles seeing what it looks like seeing the process being like hmm, that looks good i like that don't like that um kind of playing you know by ear yeah and finding like your style youtube all day every day um but again what maybe is luck but what i'm also good at is finding the people whose work i like the most and or trying to find the guys who use the same softwares that I use, but their work is also really close to like mine or their work is like work I can aspire to get towards, you know? Mm. Um, Cause yeah, I think the guy whose work videography wise I study the most, I think they use Premiere. 
but that's fine because I also have guys who I follow who do use DaVinci, who drop like little tutorials here, there. But sometimes it's as simple as like, I want to know how do I blend this two different audio tracks so that it smooths together. And then just YouTube, blend audio in DaVinci Resolve, three minute video, boom, bam, expert now. <laughs> exactly exactly it's that easy like i feel like people don't realize like anything you really want to learn is out there you just got to go find it you know and i feel like with editing videos especially there's so many different things color grading sound the clips the b-roll like a-roll mm -hmm. all of these different terms that i'm just like ugh. Maybe I should have gone to film school. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like in this day and age, you can really learn anything. And now that you said DaVinci Resolve for color grading, maybe I have to switch up my color grading workflow. I'm like, hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. But do you, do you film in a vlog or do you film in a standard profile? Um, that's a very good question. I don't even know the answer. I just film. Mm -hmm. You know? like. Okay. I take my cameras, I go out there, I film, and then I kind of deal with it all in post. Like, for me, I'm okay. trying to figure out my creative process. Like, that's why I've been, like, really taking a bunch of different courses to really just hone in on what am I trying to say? Why is that what I'm trying to say? What are the, you know, like, that the inspirations that really, like, speak to me just from my childhood mm -hmm. and growing up watching different types of, like, cine you know, cinematography from, like, American mm -hmm. films, French films, um, Indian films, um, just getting, getting influenced from all of that and just trying to figure out, like, yeah, like, how do I get it to look the way that I want? So that's kind of where I'm at, just kind of playing around, having fun with it, um, mm. trying to not make it work because I feel like editing I don't think people understand how much work goes into editing a video like no. No. I give YouTubers credit because this <laughs> two times a week I'm like how mm -hmm. in the hell how yeah but they they eventually form a rhythm you know yeah and you, you get to the point where you're already editing in your head while you're filming so you already know, okay, this is where I'm going to cut. And then your next clip, okay, I'm probably going to use this as a transition to go into this. So they're editing while they're filming. So then that's how yeah. it becomes a little bit easier. Um, yeah, I just got to so keep practicing. Got to build that muscle yeah. memory for sure. And also too, so if you're going to get into color grading, then you definitely have to figure out how you can shoot in log. Oh, like, are you talking about, like, analog versus digital? No, no, no. No. So what, what camera do you use? What, what, what brand? Um, Like, I just have a GoPro, and then I have one of those, like, old-school, like, camcorder things, mm. you know? Okay. So whenever you get a chance, you should Google um, this log, L-O-G. For Canon, it would be C-Log. For Sony, it would oh. be S-Log. Um, have you ever seen somebody post a video, but it looks really like gray and like washed out? Did yeah, like there's seen... like people that I watch. I don't know if you're familiar with hindsight's videos, but like I love the warmth that like comes through the footage itself. Like there's like a soft warmness. Okay. But there was even like that clip that you shot with Deshaun that I really liked, which is why I remember I messaged you about like what you use to okay. give that blur sort of like so soft see, if, tone if if i show you what that video looked like before i edited it would look just like 
gray and washed out because when you shoot in log it captures like all the information but it gives you a very flat final product that you need to color grade oh so it's like it's like for the camera it, the optimization algorithm just washes out the hues even though the data is there and then in color grading yes. you sort of adjust yes. for your eye so, so sometimes Super cool. um sometimes a ca your camera would say that it has like 14 stops of dynamic range but it only has it only has that if you shoot in log oh you don't, you don't have it if you shoot in a in a flat profile I see. Okay. Do you know the difference between a JPEG and raw footage? I know it's like the a... compression algorithm, right? Of how it like yeah. finalizes the pixel, but I don't actually know what the difference is. So for example, if you take a picture in JPEG, no, if you take a picture raw, the picture has, let's just say 20 different layers and your camera gives you that those 20 layers. So your picture would be 50 megapixels because it has those 20 layers stacked in one product. But if you take that same picture as a JPEG, it might only be five megabytes because what the camera does is it takes those 20 images and smacks them together and gives you one. So when you take that picture into Lightroom, you don't, if you use the JPEG, there's nothing to play with. Mm. There's it's no like it is what it is. Everything is what it set. is. Yeah. So, so if you try to change the, the temperature on a JPEG, the camera will add, Lightroom will either add blue or add orange or yellow. But if you try to change the temperature on a raw picture, you can actually change the Kelvin value. Wow. Yeah, so that no, is that so is cool. So that's for pictures. So the same thing happens for video where if you shoot in a standard profile, it's like shooting a JPEG. If you shoot in log, it's like shooting in raw. Clearly I need to hang out with you more is what I'm getting from this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm curious. Oh no, go ahead. Finish what so, you were saying. No, last week Sunday, um I had some friends and I were hanging out. There was like five of us as photographers in total and then three models. And, you know, just they're just trying to like get into the game and understand the cameras and stuff like that. So I was just like, the first thing all of you need to do is change your cameras to RAW. That's the first thing. I don't care what happens after that. Your camera in RAW, your camera in RAW, your camera in RAW. And when they're taking their pictures now to Lightroom, they're like, oh my God, I can like open the shadows and I can bring the highlights down and I can do this and I can do that because there's so much more information now. Yeah, one picture is 50 megabytes versus five or 10, but there's so much more information. But why? Yeah, play. yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because like the engineer in me is like, oh, because like I... On the flip side, like I see how we build cameras, you know, and how we test for cameras and how we test the color accuracy of cameras and how we test the brightness adaption and all of that. And so when you're saying this, I'm like, oh, like it's like clicking. I'm like, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the light, which I love, which is, yeah, like I love that. I'm curious then, 
Do you have a preference for then digital cameras over analog cameras and similar with film, like using um, digital, you know, methods for capturing the moment of film versus like analog film that's really like film rolls, you know, like Mm. canisters, tape, all that. I haven't, I've shot pictures on film, not video. I think I, I think being in this era, I prefer digital just because um, there's less, like you, you have more chances to make up if you make a mistake, right? I feel you. If you have a roll of film that has 24 shots in it, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, but what I learned about film is that back in the day, that's kind of how they, why they created Polaroid pictures. So what they would do is they would take the Polaroid picture first and then in like five minutes, they would kind of see what the picture looks like. And they're like, okay, so now they, then they shoot on film after because they kind of have an idea of what the picture is going to look like. Interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of why Polaroid or how Polaroid came around because they could see it almost instantly and then now they could set their settings to shoot in on the film. Wow. Photography history right here. Like oh my gosh. You know, this is the stuff that I love though, because it's like it gives me like better understanding of the technology and the evolution of it and like the human motivation as to why we even did that, you know? And it's funny because yeah, they yeah. just wanted to check. They were just like, I don't want to waste this whole thing of film. Like, can somebody? Yeah. And the yeah. engineers were like, we got you, fam. We got you. Mm-hmm. Polaroid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But shooting on film has also allowed me to, like, slow down a lot. Um, mm. So on a shoot, I try... I remember earlier in my career, I would go on a shoot with somebody and they have one outfit and I leave that shoot with like 300 pictures, right? Now, if I have a shoot with somebody and they have one outfit, we're maybe going to shoot like 40. Like, we're going to think about it a little bit more. We're going to move around a little bit more. But why am I shooting 300 pictures for one outfit? You know, so having shot on film or having listened to people talk about film, it helps you to slow down because think about it like, yo, I only have 36 frames and I need to make each one of these frames really count, you know? Yeah. Instead of finding yourself in a situation that's just like, yeah. I feel, I'm curious, like, how do you deal with memory? Like the actual, like, data integrity of your images? Like, do you store it on the cloud do you just go like to like hard drives do you just save it on sd cards um do you have like a storage room for like the actual film it's um, like how do you go about that so before i was completely fine because i was just taking pictures so it was easy to just have mm, three four hard drives and i have all my pictures between 2016 and now um i was what i tried to do is as often as possible, have, like, copies. So, like, right now, I think at the end of this year, I'm probably going to do it, but I'm just going to have hard drives that mirror each other. So I'm going to have one with 2016 to 2022 and another one with the same thing, just in case some miraculous craziness happens. 
I feel. But now having shooting film, shooting, being a filmmaker now is just like spaces. Not the same, because... I know. Yeah. I'm just like, ah! Yeah. I'm like, I'm running out of memory. Where do I put all these damn files? Like, a, th- a terabyte becomes a joke. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's like a wedding. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wedding. I'm like... Yeah. Ah. yeah. Yeah, that's been one of the things that, like, for me, I've noticed is such an interesting problem for creatives is, like, memory. Like, how do we actually deal with memory, storing memory, yeah. making sure that it stays like the actual ones and zeros actually maintain mm-hmm. integrity so that if you plug that hard drive in now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the file is still going to be there and it's not going to yeah. be corrupted. Yeah. It's not going to be like, um, error. I don't know how to open this file. And you're like, that yeah. was not the time for this. Okay. Like this mm-hmm. is not okay. There's one set of guys I know who use like, I think like the raid raid system where, you know, they have one set of hard drives where they have everything, but I think that's connected to, like, a cloud system um, so they can access their files from the office to access their files at home. Um, but there's another guy, Eric Floberg, and I think he does not do a cloud system, but what he does is he has copies of stuff. So whatever he has at the office... He also has copies of that at, at home, just in case there's a fire at the office or somebody breaks into his house. He has copies of them in at least like two or three different places. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't wait till till we get to the point where we're storing everything in glass, because um, like that's something that like uh, we're. I know you're like confused. I'm. T- <laughs> this is a thing. Like, um, it's one of the areas that Microsoft Research focuses on is like memory it's actually like how do we store our data in a way that we can have it for generations upon generations without it like actually degrading over time and glass is like a great medium for that because glass is inert it is not reactive to anything it's stable um and you can like etch uh, the data into the glass using light, which is such an interesting thing because when you build it out, it becomes this like interesting hologram of like information. Um, and then when you need to access it, it just goes through each layer, knows where to get the file, and you can store way more. And I'm like, why well, can't wait till this becomes more mainstream, um, where you like have glass slabs that literally look like art installations, but they're full of information that could be like capturing a whole series series of series and it's not really a thing where we're like as so stressed out about Mm -hmm. are we actually going to store all of this information because yeah with with videos especially especially if you start to shoot in like higher resolution they just become massive files (laughs) like absolutely massive and then the projects themselves Mm. become massive and then when you got to export i'm like i want to know how big that wakanda file was at the end i'm like how long did it take to even export that damn picture. Yeah, but they're they're probably on souped up Mac Studios and they don't have any issues with like exporting. I'm actually I need to get one of those because I have my my iMac is from like 2013, um, and it was before Apple got smart and sealed the 
the the the bodies of the computers because I can still open the back of mine and just put oh. additional RAM inside of it because I was in the lucky batch before they discontinued that. They one. were like, "Yeah, no, we're not letting y'all into the hardware at all. This is yeah. a secret, no yes. entry." But, but now it's just like after doing video for the last like two years, my computer is just like save me. Yeah, because before it was just like Lightroom in Photoshop, but now it's DaVinci Resolve as well. So there's like these three programs that are almost running like all the time, and my computer I is just feel like. feel it. Always have days. to keep it plugged in, just yeah. like the battery. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to die now. <laughs> we don't have like, capacity it, for this. Can we only run these two programs today? Like, why do we have to run all three? Plus, you have your mood board open with like a bajillion Pinterest tabs too. It's just like, yeah. what do you? This is mm. too much. Like, I'm like, what yeah. did you make me for? But then, as like the engineer, I'm like, exactly. Like, I want to stress the bejesus out of this device. <laughs> I want to see where it breaks, so yeah. I can go back to the team and be like, guys, this is where we suck, and we need to fix this asap because the future is a creator economy, and there's no reason why our devices cannot handle the heat. I'm like, they need to be able to handle the heat, you know? Yeah. So. A Mac Studio is in my future. Don't say this, okay? You're talking to Surface over here. I cannot hear oh. these words. La 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 la. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What is what is the Apple equivalent? I mean, oh, uh, we have like the... Surface Studio. Okay. And they're like, it's like a massive. Actually, those are made for creatives. They're actually really beautiful. They're like a desktop that can actually fold down like a canvas, and like you can like do a bunch more. Like they're, it's pretty much designed with like Adobe and all of that, you know, software in mind. So, but I'm telling you, as as an engineer, there I'm pushing. I'm pushing for great things, especially as a creative. Like you want to be able to do it all. And if our devices can't keep up, then it's like, hello, why did I spend all this money on you? waste of time why aren't you working like i didn't pay this money for you to be not handling your weight like this is your job why are you slacking on the job unexpectedly crashing um, quit and i'm just like why now is (laughs) not the time for this now is not the time (laughs) i'm curious then for like young folks that are like trying to get into the content creation space you know they're trying to do their thing express their creative self um they're trying to learn it all you know what i mean from like film and editing and video i guess like do you have any advice as you know be you know going in the space you know traveling to the u.s where there's a completely different standard of excellence for this type of industry and then there's even just like a lot of uncertainty. I feel like even still in the Caribbean, Anansi Martin, like creative fields are not really supported, even though like when they are successful, like, like, you know, our country will be the first one to be like, that's our people right there. Go off sis. But then actually they're not going to care about any of the actual work to get you there. We know. Yeah. Just like oh, any yeah. advice for people that are trying to go down that path, but it seems scary. You know, there's just so much uncertainty. Um, and like, how do you know, they're not sure, like, how am I going to compete? Where am I going to stand? Um, mm-hmm. just advice for people. Yeah. They're trying to express their creative side, you know, through these mediums that are just so great. If there's one thing Instagram forcefully teaches us is that, um, consistency is king because if you post on Instagram today, and your page, let's just say your stories are getting like 
800 1000 views if you don't post on instagram for the next four days when you come back and you post on that fourth day your story is going to get like 30 views instagram will let you know that you need to post every day if you want these numbers to stay up um and i feel like that teaches the content creators consistency because you need to keep being at it being at it being at it being at it and that also means creating more content that also means practicing more you know um so yeah consistency is king that's that that would be the first thing i would tell to anybody who's trying to get into this space um but also find the top three people that you like make sure that their tab is always open in your internet browser and just don't don't close it make sure that you're looking at those tabs every day you look at their pictures and then you look at your pictures and then you feel like shit because your pictures don't look that good <laughs> and then tomorrow when you go out and shoot have this person's picture on your phone and try to figure out like how did they get this picture lit like this you know so yeah that would be the second step find the three people that you like the most and just for the most part copy 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 eventually your work will get to match theirs but along the way you'll also find your own style because you'll figure out mm, i don't really like this from this person but i like this from this person and you'll figure your style out along the way yeah. um, i think that's Great it advice. really like i think those those two things over a period of time would develop somebody into like yeah without a, a doubt without a doubt yeah. I'm curious then, like, how can folks, like, say they're like, I want to shoot with Cameron or, like, I want to see his work. Where can they find you? Like, where where, where do you suggest people go if they want to connect with you, um, work with you, collab on things? Um, yeah, just do anything that's kind of film photography related. Definitely my Instagram. I think that's where I'm, like, the most active. It's Cameron Hyman, I-T-S, and then... Cameron Hyman. Um, secondly, I want to say email. Um, you can email the hand at CameronHyman.com. And yes, I took that from Game of Thrones. And that is my assistant's email um, because you'll get her before you get me. <laughs> hey, but you know yourself. You're like, I, yeah. I know who you got to talk to if you're trying to yeah. get to me. So Yeah, so my Instagram or email the hand at CameronHyman.com. Awesome, awesome. I guess do you have any final words for the people before we let them get back to their day of enjoying life, living it up? Not really. I mean, if you're, if you're a creative or you're trying to get into this space, I say go for it. This space has space, so don't ever feel like um, it's too crowded for you. The sooner you find people let's just say around the world whose work that you like that you can emulate um the better but also find somebody who is within arm's reach who you can have as for lack of a better expression again like a mentor definitely like having somebody that you can ask a question will help you to learn something in three minutes that it'll take you three months to learn on youtube by yourself feel free to check out my book my moonlight series book that should be dropping 
in December as well. We're supposed to have a book launch, we're trying to settle on a date, but by the time this is out, that should already be out too. So, cool, cool. So then people know where to go. You know, get your copy. Support local photographers, local creatives. Don't just say it. Be about it. You know. Right. Exactly. <laughs>